Welcome to Slay Church. We are so glad that you're tuning in today and pray that wherever you are, this message will bless you. If this impacts you in any way, we would love to hear about it. Send an email to mystory@slatechurch.com. We doing good tonight? We doing well? What a great atmosphere of faith is in the room tonight. Amen. Hey, I'm really excited for what God is going to continue to do in our midst this evening. I really believe that he's put a word on my heart and I can't wait to share that with you tonight. I want to encourage all of us in this room, let's really lean in spiritually to what God has for us. Let's actually stir up our own faith a little bit and really believe that God's got a word for us, that he wants to speak to us, and that we can actually leave this place differently than the way that we came into this place this evening. Amen? You know, I really believe that after we have a, an encounter with the presence of God, that it's impossible to remain unchanged. And we got to know that the presence of God is here with us tonight, and I believe that he wants to meet with every individual in this room tonight. So let's lean in. Let's get ready for what God has for us. I'm really excited to preach. I hope that you're ready and excited to receive it as well tonight. And um, we're actually just going to jump right into things. I hope that's okay. We're going to jump right in uh, to reading scripture. We're going to start by reading Psalm 92 verse 12 to 13. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me, but we're going to read uh, just this short passage, and we're going to read some more later, but this is really going to set up our theme for the message tonight, and so this is what it says, Psalm 92, verse 12 to 13, it says, the righteous will flourish, everybody say flourish, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree, they will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish, everybody say flourish, they will flourish in the courts of our God. If you're taking notes this evening, you can write down this title for my message. Nourish and flourish. Go ahead and write that down. Nourish and flourish. Tell your neighbor it's time to flourish. Come on, let's pray, and we're going to get into it tonight. Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are, and we thank you for what you're doing in our church. Father, we just pray that you would speak to us tonight. We pray that you would speak through your word Father, we just pray that uh, we would really have an incredible encounter with you in this room tonight, Jesus, and that it would change our lives from here on out. We pray that above all else, that your name would be glorified. And everybody said, amen, amen. Anybody remember puberty? You remember? Anybody still going through puberty in this place? All the Slate Church preteens said, uh, Amen. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Took me a long time to figure that one out, so thank you for laughing. I remember puberty because, um, you know, I've got a pretty deep voice, but my voice changed before anything else changed, okay? And so I remember being, like, quite young, like 10, 11, something like that, and my voice was as deep then as it is now, okay? So it's very strange because, I mean, in every other regard, I was this young boy, right? I mean, I had the, you know, soft boyish skin, um, you, you know, that kind of wispy boyish hair. And, uh, and then, you know, I'd go around and people would come up to me and say, oh, hey, nice to meet you, Luke. And then the voice that would respond to them was like, yeah, nice to meet you too, you know? And it was like very strange for people. And 
You know, I remember, like, I, we would get phone calls to the house back in landline days, right? And I would pick up the phone, and I would answer the phone. I was, like, 11 years old. Hello? And they'd be like, hello, Mr. Bitker. Um, uh, have you ever thought about getting your lawn aerated or something like that? And I'd be like, uh, let me go ask my dad, <laughs> you know? And I think that people were very confused when they called, and they thought that this was strange. And, you know, it was very awkward for me. Everywhere I went, people would point out how deep my voice was, and it was very strange. I would go places. I would hate it. I was so angry that everybody would just point this out in me all the time. It was a very awkward phase of life. It was very strange. But isn't that what growth looks like a lot of the times? You know, it's a little bit awkward. It's a little bit strange. It can be a little bit messy at times. You might wonder whether or not you're ever actually going to get to the other side. But I do want you to know tonight that what's on the other side of growth is better. It actually is greater. And if you don't believe me, I've got two images to prove that to you tonight, okay? So why don't you go ahead, you can put the first image on the screen. Yes, so this is, um, this is Pastor Jared Moore. He's one of our executive pastors at Slate Church. And this is him pre-puberty, right? This is uh, Jared, he's really got a smolder going on, that's for sure. It's pretty impressive. What's on the other side of growth is better. So why don't you put the next picture up as well? That's better. That's the Jared we know and love. Much, much better. What's on the other side of growth is better. But we've got more. Uh, you can go ahead and put the next one up. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, Nate Lambert together with his wife. Uh, they run our family's ministry. They're also the service pastors for our evening services here. This is Nate uh, 10 years still stunting. I took this right off his Instagram, okay? So he put it out there. It's fair game at that point. And uh, looking awesome, but growth is better. You can go ahead and come on, look at Nate now. Can we give a round of applause for Nate now? Come on, Nate Neville Longbottomed, okay? That was fantastic. Uh, much better, much better now. You know, what's on the other side of growth is actually better for us, even though it takes some... Uh, you know, awkward times to actually get to what's on the other side. But believe it or not, it's actually better to be an adult than a child. It's actually better to be mature than it is to be immature. You know, as we grow and as we get older, as we are develop into adults, we actually have agency. We actually have independence. We actually have the ability to make an impact and an influence on this world that we aren't able to make as children. And Listen, the same is true for us when it comes to our spiritual lives. We actually need to grow and mature spiritually. We don't need to remain spiritually childish, but we need to grow spiritually so that we can actually have an impact and make a difference in this world in the name of Jesus. We actually need to grow into the person that God has actually called us and created us to be in this life. But here's the thing with growth when it comes to spiritual growth. See, physical growth is really inevitable in a lot of ways in our lives. Physical growth is inevitable, but spiritual growth is optional. It takes intentionality. We have to actually put some work in to grow spiritually. But I need you to know this evening that God made you to flourish. He made you to flourish in life. He created you to receive life from outside of yourself which creates vitality inside of yourself, which produces blessing beyond yourself. You know, flourishing is God's plan for your life. 
But it's important to understand that flourishing is not measured in terms uh, of possessions or attractiveness or followers on social media or the kind of car that you drive. But to flourish according to God's plan is to become the person that God has in mind for you to be. You know, flourishing means moving towards God's best version of you. It means day after day, taking step after step towards all that God has created you to be. And when your spirit flourishes, you are actually most fully alive in life. You have a purpose for living. You put off your old self and put on the new self, created in the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. And there's some great things that happen to us when we begin to flourish in life. You know, if you're flourishing in life, then actually mentally your life will be transformed. Suddenly, your thoughts are marked by joy and by peace. You love to learn. You love to grow, however that might look for you, whether that's by listening or reading or, or, or building or leading. You're not easily bored in life. When negative things happen, they are simply motivations to actually act and make change for yourself. The difficulty, however, that we face day after day in our lives is that there is a battle happening in our soul between our flourishing self and its opposite, our languishing self. See, the languishing self, it feels uneasy. Our languishing self is anxious. It's discontent. Our languishing self is drawn to bad habits. We end up watching too much TV. We drink too much alcohol. We pervert sex. We spend too much. And all of these things are done in an effort to numb the pain of a languishing life. The languishing self never has enough time. And the time that it does have, it just complains about or it wastes. The flourishing self, on the other hand, also has its time transformed. When the morning comes on a flourishing life, uh, there isn't a desire to hit the snooze button 10 times and just pull the covers back over your head and just ignore the day that's to come. Instead, you wake up with a sense of expectation. You have a conviction that things matter. You recognize that every second is a God-given gift in your life. And because of this, the flourishing self pours itself into relationships. You begin to love other people. They bring you energy. You listen to them. You bless others. You invite others into your life. You quickly admit when you're wrong, and you quickly forgive other people if they mess up. The languishing self, on the other hand, is in trouble when it comes to relationships. You're undisciplined in what you say. You revert to sarcasm. You love to gossip. You isolate, you dominate, you attack, you withdraw. And here we are living our lives caught in the middle so often between our languishing and our flourishing selves. And I'm sure that as I've been speaking, you can recognize parts of your life where you certainly are flourishing. And praise God for that. What an incredible thing it is to be flourishing in life. And I firmly believe that by the end of this, this evening, that you can actually walk out of this place flourishing in even more areas of your life. But I bet if we were all honest in this room, we can also recognize areas of our lives where we are languishing, where things aren't going as well as we would like them to go. And if I can get honest with you for a moment, you know, while I was writing this sermon, I was certainly convicted of the many areas in my life where I actually recognize that I am languishing more than I am flourishing. And the good news, though, is that God actually wants to grow us. 
You know, even more than we want to grow ourselves, God wants to grow us. He has a plan for us. He wants to use us in his plan to redeem his world. And as we draw near to him, he actually changes our experiences. And we begin to flourish not only in some areas of our lives, but actually in all areas of life. We begin to live with a sense of calling. We become resilient in the face of suffering. We get better. We grow. We go from strength to strength. I mean, what could, be, uh, what could we possibly want more than to become the person who God actually created us to be in this world? What could we possibly want more? Right? I think so. Maybe we get home later tonight and we're not so sure anymore. In church, we're, yeah, absolutely, I want to be who God created me to be. But later on and throughout the week, we start to think, wait a minute. Do I actually want to be that person? Do I actually, wait a minute. Do I really want to be who God created me to be? I'm not so sure anymore. You know, I think a lot of us hear messages about becoming the person who God created us to be. And a lot of the time we respond with the thought of, well, you know, what if I don't want to be that person? What if I don't like that person? What if I don't like the person who God has created me to be? What if I just actually like who I am? What, what if that's the case? You know, too often we think that if we seek to grow spiritually, it means that we have to become something that we, not, that we are not or we have to become someone else. But the good news is that God is not going to discard the raw material of your life. Instead, he's going to redirect it. He's going to repurpose it. Take Paul, for example. Before he met Jesus, he was a brilliant, eager, passionate man who would persecute people. And after he met Jesus, he was a brilliant, passionate, eager man who loved to serve people. See, Paul didn't have to become a solitary and isolated, goofy, Ned Flanders type of Christian to flourish and fulfill the call that God had for his life. But Jesus used who Paul was, who he was created to be, to do what he was created to do. And I think that there's something in that for us tonight. See, here's the thing. God wants to redeem you, not exchange you. See, all your abilities, your gifts, your dreams, your passions, your personalities, all of your quirks, God wants to redeem all of these things and use them to make a difference for his kingdom in this world. He wants to take you from a life of languishing to a life of flourishing. But if we're going to become the best versions of ourselves, if we're going to become who God has actually created us to be, flourishing, uh, living lives that are taking step after step towards the calling that God has for us. We have to deal with all the counterfeit versions of ourselves that are trying hard to keep us from being the me that I am called to be. You know, there are many versions of ourselves that are competing for our identity in this life, and we can't let them win. For instance, we have to come up against the me that I pretend to be. We have to come up against this all the time. You know, when we're growing towards a flourishing life with Jesus, the truth is we are constantly being set free from having to pretend to be something that we're not. What a relief this is. I don't know about you, but I just think that that is such a breath of fresh air for our lives. The pastor John Ortberg says this. He says, I no longer have to try and convince people that I'm important while secretly fearing that I'm not. What a great revelation for us today. You know, I heard a story recently about a freshly appointed lieutenant who wanted to impress the first private to enter 
his new office. And so he pretended to be on the phone with the general so that the private would know that he was a somebody. So the private entered the office and the lieutenant pretended to be on the phone with the general. Yes, general, you can count on me, he said, and he slammed the phone down. Then he asked the private what he wanted. The private said, I'm just here to connect your phone, sir. (laughs) You know, pretending to be someone that you're not is hard work. You spend a lot of time and a lot of energy just trying to maintain the facade. All the while, desiring places where you can go and actually just be yourself. But we never have to pretend with God. You know, in fact, genuine brokenness pleases God more than pretend spirituality. If we're ever going to flourish in life, we need to be honest about who we are with God. Then, of course, we have to deal with the me that other people want me to be. You know, do you ever just feel like everybody in your life wants you to change and be the person that just most suits them? Right? I mean, your boss wants you to be more productive. Your gym wants you to be more fit. Your school wants you to be smarter. Your credit card company wants you to be more in debt. Disney Plus wants you to watch more movies. And it is working on me. I don't know if you can relate. Everybody and everything has an agenda for your life. And listen, that's not always a bad thing. It's not always terrible. People don't always have ill intentions towards you. But if you spend your entire life trying to be a version of yourself that others want you to be and that others tell you you need to be, you will never be free to actually flourish and live the life that God has called you to be. You know, when Nelson Mandela was imprisoned on Robbins Island for his opposition to South Africa's apartheid, he was given a pair of shorts to wear instead of a pair of pants. And this was because his captors wanted his identity to be that of a boy instead of that of a man. And people in power wanted him to be broken and to just come to accept a racist society. But during his 27 years in prison, Mandela suffered and he learned and he grew because of it. And he called the prison his university. And he became increasingly committed to justice and opposed to hate. And by the end of his captivity, even the guards were won over by his life. And when he went from prisoner Mandela to President Mandela, he sought to lead the country to peace through the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which was established on the biblical principle that the truth shall set you free. You know, no human being gets the final word on who God created you to be. Listen, maybe you're here and you've been living your life that way. You've been living your life according to an identity that has been ascribed to you by another human being. I want to encourage you, tonight is the night to let that go and to leave it behind you and to start living according to who God created you to be, not according to who the world is telling you that you should be. But then, of course, we also have to deal with the me I'm afraid God wants. You know, a great challenge that we face as Christians is the way that we try and equate spiritual spiritual maturity with just following the rules in the Bible. But if I think that God's aim is just to produce rule followers, then spiritual growth will always just be an obligation instead of an actual desire of my heart. See, rule keeping doesn't automatically grow into living by faith. There's an enormous difference between following rules and following Jesus because I can follow rules without having to cultivate the right heart. Jesus didn't say, I have come that you may follow the rules. He said, I have come that you may have life and have it with abundance. 
When we stop understanding that a flourishing life and spiritual growth means moving closer to Jesus, the question of how is your spiritual life going begins to frighten us and it begins to make us uncomfortable. And the reason it does this is because many people just use external behaviors to measure spiritual health. They measure spiritual health by how early they get up to read the Bible or how long they pray. But that is not what spiritual formation is actually all about. These things can all be done without an actual transformation of the heart taking place and without the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control actually being grown and cultivated in a life. Of course, as we flourish in life and as we grow closer to Jesus, the truth is this problem begins to sort itself out because we are not interested in just bringing our minimum to God. See, when we cultivate the right heart and when we begin to flourish, we actually desire to spend more time in God's word. It's amazing how this works. Suddenly we don't approach God and his word and prayer with a legalistic uh, religious sense or uh, a thing that is, a, uh, that is tied to it. But instead we begin to, to, to approach God with a desire to know him more. All of a sudden it's not a, a I have to, but it's a I get to. All of a sudden we're not asking the question, what's the minimum? amount of Bible reading that I must do to appease God and get into heaven. All of a sudden we're asking ourselves, what is the maximum amount of God's word that I can get into myself today so that I can flourish and begin to know what life is live in him? And of course, we also need to deal with the me that fails to be. You know, I recently came across this three-letter acronym that many of you who are in the medical field will be familiar with. The term is FTT, and this stands for failure to thrive. You know, this term failure to thrive is given to children who for unknown reasons are unable to gain weight, they're unable to grow. Generally, it's linked to a child being undernourished, and they're not getting the nutrients that he or she truly needs to grow and to thrive in life, and so they are considered as being a failure to thrive. But in many ways... I think that there is a similar spiritual problem all across our society today. A failure to thrive spiritually. And it brings with it the problem that we talked about earlier. It brings with it the issue of languishing in life. You know, languishing is really the condition of someone who is able to function, but has lost a sense of hope and meaning in life. Languishing is not necessarily the presence of mental illness as much as it is the absence of mental and emotional vitality in one's life. Languishing is an inability to actually delight in life. You know, so often we speak of things like a dead-end job, or we speak of things like a dead marriage, or dead dreams, and really that's a lot of what languishing is. It's feeling a bit dead on the inside. And languishing, it is the opposite of flourishing in life. You know, often when People have dreams for their life uh, when they're young, but for some reason those dreams fade away as people grow older. There was recently a study done where a researcher uh, went to a school and she went to a kindergarten classroom and just by a simple show of hands, the researcher asked the class of kindergarten students, who here considers himself to be an artist? And all the kids in the kindergarten class put up their hand. I consider myself to be an artist. Same researcher then went to a third grade class, asked the same question. Who here considers himself to be an artist? By that point in life, only about half the kids raised their hand. Then they went to a sixth grade class. Same question. Who here considers himself to be an artist? And only a couple of hands were raised in the entire class. 
you know, over time, we find that becoming who we were meant to be is just too hard or just takes too much time. But when we give up on spiritual growth and formation in our lives, we just end up languishing. But there is a person in you who is waiting to come alive. There is a me that you are meant to be. There is a me that you are called to be. And God wants you to grow. He created the entire idea of growth. He wants you to flourish in life. But how do we actually do that? How do we live a flourishing life? Well, I really believe that if we want to flourish spiritually, what we need to do is we need to make sure that we are nourishing our spirit. If we want to flourish, we need to make sure that we nourish. This evening, I want to quickly give you just two ways that we can nourish our spirit to grow and to flourish in life. Just two ways. So simple. Normally, it's three points. Today, it's only two, all right? And listen, I really think that if we would put these two practices into action, even this week, I am convinced that we would begin to take steps towards flourishing in life like we hadn't realized were possible for us before. And so the first way that we need to nourish our spirit if we want to flourish in life is by prayer. And I know it sounds so simple, doesn't it? It sounds almost ridiculous to say and to use as a point in church, prayer. That is way too simple. But if I were to ask all of us in this room, tell me, truly, how is your prayer life going? How would you actually honestly answer that question today? What would your answer be? I wonder, is your prayer life measured by how long you pray? Is it measured by how many people you're praying for? Because if that's the case, my grandma's going to win, okay, just to let you know. Is your prayer life measured by how often your prayers get answered? Very often people think that this is the case, and sometimes these questions can actually cause us to stay away from praying and talking to God out of a sense of shame or guilt uh, because we were worried that God might be upset with us because it's been so long since we've actually approached him and prayed to him. But the truth is you pray more than you know. We pray all the time, and our society prays all the time. You know, prayer happens in schools all over the world all the time. This isn't a popular thing to talk about. It's a fairly controversial topic these days, the idea of prayer in school. But of course, experience tells us that as long as there are tests in school, there will be prayer in school. Praise God. We don't even have to worry about that being the case. If you believe in God, you've already begun to pray. You've entered into a dialogue with him. Because believing in God means that you believe that he is always present and that he is always listening to you. You know, think for a moment about the way that we communicate with other people. You know, sometimes we speak to someone. Other times, uh, we speak in front of someone. Other times, we speak about someone. I wonder how many of us in this room have spoken about someone in the absence of someone with words that we wouldn't have used if they were present there to begin with. I mean, we've probably all done this at one point or another in our lives. You know, I heard this really fantastic story about Mark Twain recently. And the story goes like this. Mark Twain was once riding uh, in a train on his way home after a successful three-week fishing trip in Maine, even though the state's fishing season was over. And he bragged about his huge but illegal catch to the only other passenger who was in the car. The passenger grew increasingly upset during Twain's story. And when Twain finally asked him who he was, the stranger explained that he was the state game warden. <laughs> and who are you, he asked Twain. 
To tell you the truth, Twain replied, I'm the biggest liar in the whole United States. <laughs> you know, often when we speak to someone in front of someone, we actually try and hide our real heart, as Mark Twain was trying to do in retrospect there. You know, we, we filter what we say because we want the person to think of us as being important or eloquent or whatever other picture it is that we're trying to present and communicate. But in other times when we're speaking about someone else, when they aren't there, we actually lose that filter because we feel that there aren't any repercussions to speaking about somebody else behind their back. But let's bring God into the picture for a moment. See, with God, we are actually never speaking or acting in his absence. The psalmist said in Psalm 139, verse 7 to 8, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. However, God allows us to feel as if we are away from him, which he does for a reason. Think about it this way. Um, do you ever drive differently when you see a police car on the road? I mean, honestly now, okay? You, you know, maybe you're driving along and all of a sudden you notice that there's a police car driving behind you. Do you ever drive like as if you're actually a criminal and like all of a sudden like, you know, like I know I've done nothing wrong, but uh, I don't know, I'm going to be careful here. It's amazing how we do that, right? All of a sudden there's a police car driving behind us and immediately we start driving exactly the speed limit. Now I wonder why is it that we do this? Is it that we've actually had a change of heart in that moment? I don't think it is. Because inevitably when the police car drives off some other distance, we just end up speeding again, don't we? That's what happens. We haven't had a change of heart and now we will never end up speeding again ever in our lives. No, no, the reason that we do this is not because we've had a change of heart. It's because we don't want a speeding ticket. That's the reason that we end up do, doing this. Well, it's similar with God. God doesn't want forced compliance. So God makes it possible in enormous love for us to live as if he were not there. This is the free will that is ours. It has been given to us. We get to choose whether or not we will see God every day. But of course, just because we don't see him doesn't mean that he's not there. Of course, this reality leads itself to some spiritual dissonance in our lives because we can start to think that just because we're living our lives as if God is not around, that he actually isn't around. But of course, that's not true. We are just choosing, according to our free will, to ignore him. I can remember going to summer camp as a kid, and I can remember there was a challenge, and it was that the last person to be seated at the lunch table was the one who had to say the prayer for the meal. And so as soon as it was lunchtime, everybody would rush in to the place we were eating, and everybody would try and get sat down and set into place so that they wouldn't have to say the prayer for the meal. It's a funny thing. Everybody would run. Finally, the last person would sit down. Okay, you're the one who has to pray. Oh, I don't want to pray. But fine, I guess I'll do it. And then inevitably, the prayer would start. Dear God, it's so good to come before you. It's so good to pray to you. Thank you for being here with us. It's like, wait, wait a minute. If it's so good to pray to God, if it's such a privilege, then how come the loser is the one who has to pray to God here? You know, it was as if when we played that game, we believed that God wasn't watching and wasn't aware of what was going on. And then when we went to pray, suddenly we were aware that God was tuning in. But listen, the goal of prayer is not to get good at praying. It's not to try and set new records for how much time we spend praying. But the goal of prayer is to live all of our lives and to speak all of our words in the joyful awareness of the presence of God. 
See, God is the constant and gracious listener to our every thought. And prayer begins when we bring those thoughts before God. You know, sometimes when I pray, you might be similar, you end up praying about the things that you think you should be praying about instead of the things that you're actually concerned about. Because sometimes it it seems like the things that I'm actually concerned about are just not that much of a concern to God. Or perhaps they make me look bad in God's eyes. I mean, I wouldn't want to bring that before God. I wouldn't want God to know that I'm thinking selfish thoughts. I wouldn't want God to think that think any less of me as if God is unaware of those thoughts in the first place. You know, Shel Silverstein, great children's author, poet, wrote Where the Sidewalk Ends. He once wrote The Prayer of the Selfish Child. And I think this is great. It says, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my toys to break so none of the other kids can use them. Amen. (laughs) You know, kids come to their parents with all kinds of requests. Good ones, bad ones, some generous ones, but even some selfish ones. What matters to the parents, however, is that the kids come to them. They know that they can help guide and steer the heart of the child. See, it's the hidden heart, not the selfish heart that's tough to change. So you don't have to wait to change all of your motives before you approach God in prayer. You don't have to try and sound more spiritual than you are. Instead, pray what's really in you. Talk to God about your concerns. Talk to God about your frustrations. Talk to God about your doubts, even your doubts about him. Guess what? He is not afraid of your doubts. He is not afraid of your frustrations. He do, he's not unaware of these things. He is completely aware of these things. Talk to God about the things that concern you in life. He's not unaware, but he wants you to bring these things before him so that he can help to steer your heart in the right direction. And as we do, as we bring these things, our concerns before God, I want to encourage you to add this one simple little thing to the end of your prayer. Add this simple sentence, but a very difficult one to pray. Not my will be done, but yours. So that as we approach God and we say, God, I am frustrated with you. I'm upset. I don't know what's going on. Why is it that I haven't received that promise? Why is it that I haven't received the healing yet? Why is it that you're asking me to take this leap of faith and it means that I have to leave my family behind? Why are you doing it? What is going on? Nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. God, I trust in you. You know, as long as we have unsolved problems in our life, and as long as we've got a mustard seed of faith, we will always have what we need for a vibrant prayer life. So the first way that we need to nourish ourselves is through prayer. We need to let our talking flow into praying. We need to pray without ceasing about any and all things. We need to bring our thoughts before God and allow him to shape us. And suddenly those things in our life that would have otherwise taken us down the road of languish, God turns them around and just propels us into flourishing in our lives. But the second thing that we need to do if we want to flourish in our lives is this. We need to surrender. You know, there is a God, and it's not you. (laughs) There is a God, it's not you. And all of us have to answer the question at one point or another, who will drive my life? Of course, the, the Christian answer that comes to mind is, of course, Jesus should drive my life. Of course, Jesus should steer. Makes sense. And, you know, this might be the gut reaction of a Christian, but is it really the belief and conviction of our hearts? 
Because if Jesus is driving, it means that we're not in control anymore. And all too often, um, you know, we're telling Jesus, like, Jesus, I'm not a control freak. I promise I'm not a control freak, Jesus, but you're doing it all wrong in my life. (laughs) You know, the truth is that as we allow Jesus to steer our lives, it means we're not in control of our wallets anymore. We can no longer say, well, I'm just going to give when I feel generous, but still I reserve the right to withhold whatever it is that I want to withhold. No, no, no. Now it's actually Jesus' money. When we let Jesus drive, we're no longer in charge of our ego. We no longer have the right to just satisfy every self-seeking ambition that comes our way. Now it's his life. I'm not in charge. I'm not in charge of my mouth anymore. I don't get to gossip or flatter or lie or cheat or intimidate or manipulate or exaggerate because it's not my mouth, it's Jesus' mouth now. See, if we want to flourish in life, we've got to get out of the driver's seat. We've got to hand over the keys. But the interesting thing is that as we do this, we remain fully engaged. In fact, we become more engaged in life. We don't just give Jesus the steering wheel and sit in the passenger seat and doze off as our life goes by. That's not what happens at all. But in fact, as we give Jesus the steering wheel of our lives, we become more alive than we have ever been before. I wonder in your life, have you just invited Jesus along for the ride or is he at the steering wheel of your life? life. See, surrender is the decision that we need to make day after day. It's a decision that makes the most sense in every circumstance. There is no way for a human being to flourish in life if we are not willing to surrender. Matthew 10 39 says, whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. John 12 24, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. But listen, surrender is not the same thing as being passive. No, no, God's will for your life still involves exercising your own creativity. It involves making choices. It involves responsibility and taking initiative. Surrender does not mean becoming a doormat in this life. It's not just a truth for a weak or a lazy person to say, okay, now I don't have to do anything. But instead, surrender is the voluntary acknowledgement that God is in charge and we are not. You know, the Holy Spirit always wants to guide us towards our flourishing self. And it means we must surrender ourselves to Him. Does anybody here, do you remember a time in your life before you had a GPS in your car? Do you remember that time? I can remember when I first moved to Sydney, Australia for Bible college. I'll I'll never forget. I didn't have a GPS in my car, and nobody had smartphones yet. Like, it it wasn't like a thing yet. And so I had to do something that just seems like the most ancient, old thing of all time when I think back on it now. I had to go to a gas station, and I bought a physical map of Sydney, Australia, and that's how I figured out how to get around. It's like I I don't even know where to buy a map anymore. I don't even know if they still sell those things. And I'll never forget when I first moved to Sweden, I'll never forget, uh, my father-in-law had just gotten there, and he gave me a little GPS, still not a phone, but like a little GPS that you kind of plugged onto your car windshield, and he gave me this box so that I would be able to find my way to the airport to pick up some family and friends who were flying in for mine and Victoria's wedding. And so I took this box, and I, you know, suction cupped it to my car, and I put all the, the coordinates in, 
And I'll, I'll never forget, um, it was a British voice that would speak to me from this box. And that's a good thing because everybody knows that a British person sounds 100 times smarter than anybody else. It's like, I'm going to trust and listen to this person. It was also a female voice because, let's face it, same reason, right? And, uh, and so I put it on, I turned it on, and plugged it in, and I started driving, and uh, I started following. But the truth is, at, at some point, I still actually had to surrender myself and trust and listen to this voice that was coming out of this box. I had to surrender my ways to its ways. And if we want to become who we were created to be and to live a life that moves from languishing to flourishing, we got to understand that we have to surrender what we think is best for our lives to what God knows is best for our lives. It means doing what Jesus said. It's going to mean that we're going to mess up a lot, but we get to say, God, uh, with your help, I'm going to do the best that I can. I'll do what you say. I will give you my life. I will give you my time. And I will give you my obedience. And as we do, just watch as God brings us into a place of flourishing in all areas of our lives. But of course, there's something else that we should know here. Because at one point while I was driving to the airport, I was pretty sure that the GPS was wrong. I remember it was telling me to turn left. And I thought, no, this doesn't make sense. Uh, I know I need to actually turn right here. And so what did I do? I, I didn't listen to the GPS, and I decided to turn right. And I turned, and I started driving, and I was going, and the GPS said, recalculating route, make a U-turn ahead. And I kept going, and it kept saying the same thing, make a U-turn. And eventually, I got so annoyed and frustrated by this thing that I did one very simple thing, which was I turned the power off on the GPS. I kept driving, and I thought I was going the right way, and I was going and going, and suddenly... Of course, inevitably, what happened, you can probably guess it, I ended up getting totally lost in the middle of the Swedish countryside. <laughs> I was going, I'm like, I don't recognize that intersection anymore. Maybe it's the next one. I haven't seen that house. I don't recognize that house. I don't know if I've been here before. I don't know where I am. I, I don't know what I I'm doing. And I was totally lost and didn't know what I was supposed to do. And so regretfully, I had to plug my companion back in and turn the power button back on and you know what she said to me? She said, I told you so, you big loser. That's what you get for not listening to me. If you think I'm going to help me, you now think again, okay? You can find your own way home. See you later. <laughs> of course, that's not what she said to me. You know what she said? She said, recalculating, make a U-turn. Come on, that is grace. That is what grace looks like. God says to you, and perhaps he is saying to some people in this room in this very moment, here's the way home. Make a U-turn. And as soon as you're ready to listen, as soon as you're ready to surrender, he will bring you home. You know, to all who approach him, he's satisfaction. He is the life giver. No matter how badly you've messed up before, if you're ready to listen and surrender yourself to God, you don't have to worry about him being mad at you. He loves you. He cares about you. And he wants to see you flourish in your life. We nourish our souls by surrendering ourselves to God. If we want to become the best version of ourselves, the version of ourselves that God has in mind for us, if we want to move from languishing to flourishing in our lives, we need to nourish our souls through prayer and through surrender. But just in closing, I want to say one more thing. And don't miss this because really I think it's the fulcrum on which so much of this rests and so much of the Christian life rests. Because of course, as we begin to flourish in our lives, we must understand what our flourishing is for. See, many people think that our flourishing is for the satisfaction of our own desires and needs. 
about making it in terms of the world's view and definition of success. But that is not what kingdom flourishing is about at all. See, when we are languishing in life, we have a spiritual posture that says, so what? So what? Life sucks, so what? I don't care anyways. None of this matters. I skipped school all week to play video games. So what? I slept with that guy. So what? I gossiped and ridiculed and made that person feel small. So what? doesn't matter anyways. I, I've been looking at things online that I shouldn't be looking at. So what? I'm going to do whatever I want to do anyways. But when we flourish in life, we have a spiritual posture that says, so that. When we languish, we say, so what? When we flourish, we say, so that. Your flourishing is never just about you, but it has a so that kind of condition attached to it. See, God designed you to flourish so that you could be a part of his redemptive plan in ways you otherwise could not. He wants you to flourish so that other people can be refreshed, so that other people can be encouraged, so that other people can be set free, so that music can be written, so that people can be helped, so that workplaces can thrive, so that your relationships can deepen, so that your generosity can make an impact, so that your witness can shine a light into this world. When you fail to become the person that God has in mind for you to be, the entire world misses out on the gifts that God has given you in your life to make an impact on this world. Let me tell you something about Slate Church. We are not a so what kind of church. We're not a church that says so what to injustice. We're not a church that says so what to sin. We're not a church that says so what to hurt and to pain. No, we are a church that exists so that people far from God can come into relationship with him. We exist so that the light of Christ would burst forth into this region, so that families would be restored, so that sickness would be healed, so that faith would be strengthened, so that hurting would find healing, so that we would be strengthened, so that the lonely would find community, so that the lost would find home, so that the name of Jesus would be lifted high in every and all situation. Jesus came so that we might have life and have it to abundance. And this is a church that has life, that lives and shines with the light and life of Jesus Christ. True life that is living in us. True freedom, real joy that is found as we live in the present and real reality of the kingdom of God here and now. It's time to move from languishing to flourishing in your life. It's time to move from so what to so that in your life. Come on, I want to pray for two groups of people in closing. Thank you for watching. Again, if you were impacted by this message in any way, send an email to mystory@slatechurch.com. You can also visit slatechurch.com and fill out one of our online connect cards. We would love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services. As well, you can stay connected with us by following us at Slate Church on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.